You're listening to The Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon Page and Podiobooks.com. The full book is available in Podiobook format at Podiobooks.com. The full print version is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Lulu.com, or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com. Three, the duel in the mist. Max and Casey sped along the freeway on the VC Sports Tavarius motorcycle. For a long time, all they saw was the California desert. With the pocked gray earth as far as the eye could see, jagged rocks and jutting mountains cutting across the horizon, Max couldn't help but feel like he was driving across the surface of the moon. The time-frozen eclipse only added to the surrealism of the landscape. The black disk of the actual moon was exactly halfway across the face of the sun and had been standing still there for almost two days now. The moon wasn't covering enough of the sun to make things truly darker, but it was enough to cast the remaining daylight in a weird blue twilight that hung over everything in the pocket, as though the world being frozen in time wasn't weird enough. After miles and miles of seemingly unending straight road, they came finally to a thick patch of palm trees set into a low valley. The verdant green fronds bunched thicker and thicker endlessly off into the distance eastward. But as they drove deeper into the patch, they saw that another rather large town was nestled neatly into the very center of this oasis. Max had to drive slower here, as there were a great many more time-frozen cars on the road than there had been on the freeway, and he had to angle the motorbike in between them. After half an hour, they found themselves in the center of town, where there was a thick cluster of buildings and houses. Max stopped the cycle and took his goggles off. Casey jumped off, complaining that her legs had fallen asleep during the ride. Max climbed down next and checked the bike over. When he opened the gas tank and looked in, he was surprised to see that they had barely used any gas at all. He supposed that the same phenomenon that allowed them to whoosh in the pocket allowed the bike to also go great distances without expending energy. They went into the nearby 24-7 to stock their packs with more food. It was only when Max went to leave some cash in the register to pay for the food that he realized the man behind the desk was wearing nothing but boxer shorts. Casey, he hissed. Look at this. Casey came around behind the counter and gave a little giggle when she saw. Why is he just wearing his underwear? I don't know, Max answered. But I don't think he came to work today like that. What does it mean? Casey asked. It means we're not alone in the pocket. Casey gave him a frightened glance. They checked out more of the town on foot, looking inside more shops and buildings, and even a few houses. At first they didn't find anything more unusual than more time-frozen people and things. But, as they continued, they began to see more bizarre things. There was a man on the street corner, with a foot-high pile of shaving cream on his head. There was a woman, wrapped head to toe in toilet paper, like a mummy. There was a man in a dress. There was a taxi driver with a football helmet, inexplicably on his head. There was a giant trampoline set up just outside of a department store. There were three men, painted completely green, from head to toe. There were twenty people in an outdoor restaurant, all wearing glasses, nose, mustache, disguises, and silly hats. There was a man on the street corner, with exactly half his mustache, beard, and head hair completely shaved off. Somebody thinks they're pretty funny, Casey sniffed. There was also a logo, 
an insignia or graffiti of some kind, painted in several places on the road and on the sides of several buildings. It looked like a snake and the outline of a mermaid facing each other, with a red circle drawn around the both of them. At first they thought it was just kind of random, but Max noticed the same insignia painted now on the side of a bus. That had to have been painted from inside the pocket, Max remarked to Casey. Look at this. He pointed to the street beneath the bus, drops of red paint. This bus is moving right now outside of the pocket. Yet, here are paint drops on the ground like there would be if this were painted while the bus was standing still. And then, Casey caught movement out of the corner of her eye. Look, she shouted, pointing. Max whirled, and he caught just a glimpse of a small figure at the end of a long alley darting between the buildings. Who was that? Casey asked, feeling suddenly scared. I don't know, Max said, feeling the hairs on the back of his neck prickling. And then Max saw another blur of motion, but this time on a nearby rooftop. He turned his head, but wasn't quick enough to catch more than a glimpse. Max was suddenly feeling uneasy. We should get back to the motorcycle, he said to Casey, just in case. She nodded and they started back. Already Casey had a panic speed in her stride. Don't run, Max whispered sternly to her. We don't want to look like we're afraid. I'm not running, Casey snapped back. Well, you may as well be. You're walking so fast. You look nervous. Slow down, Max replied. How do you expect to get back to the motorcycle fast if we don't walk fast, Casey argued. Max gave up. Almost 15 minutes passed while they walked. Max and Casey kept looking around, but they didn't see any more movement. Max breathed a sigh of relief as they rounded the last corner to the block with the 24-7 and the bike were. But the sports Sportstavarius was gone. Max checked his pocket. He still had the keys. Someone had just rolled it off somewhere. They couldn't have started it up. It had to be nearby. There was now a little boy standing near where the motorcycle had been. Max and Casey just stared at him for a second. He stared back. He looked like he was seven or eight and was wearing pajamas or a Halloween costume that made him look like a little white rabbit. He looked glum, like he didn't want to be there. Hello, Max said with kind of a pained, forced smile and walked towards him, trying to look friendly. But immediately, as if on cue, the little boy darted away, whooshing down the street and out of sight in a white blur of preternatural speed. Max frowned and was about to chase him when he realized that meant he would have to leave Casey behind. He struggled for a second, shifting his weight from one foot to the other, before deciding to stay put. But then he saw another figure abruptly standing behind Casey. It was a boy, an older boy, about Max's age. Red hair, freckly face... In fact, he kind of reminded Max of Jack McNulty. He was wearing a bandana and goggles like Max's motorcycle goggles up on his head. He was smiling at them, viciously. Casey pointed over Max's shoulder. Max, behind you! Max turned his head. There was another boy wearing a red motocross suit, bandana and goggles, popping his chewing gum, leering at them with both hands behind his back like he was hiding something. Max turned to Casey. We have to whoosh, he told her. Two more figures appeared on the roof behind her. She was shaking her head, saying, No, I can't. We don't have a choice. Then, there was suddenly a girl about Casey's age, with long black hair braided tightly behind her head, also wearing goggles and smiling. Max watched while she slowly reached behind her back and pulled out a long, serrated dagger. She grinned, showing her teeth. The other kids were pulling their goggles down over their eyes. Max grabbed Casey's hand and whooshed. Now that Casey was moving and she wasn't thinking so much about it, she started whooshing on her own. She looked down at her feet, surprised. That's it, Max told her. You're doing it. She looked at him and then smiled for a second. I'm doing it. 
Yes, yes you are. Keep running, he told her. The others were on them like a pack of wild dogs. They were all whooshing after Max and Casey, bounding and leaping and hollering. Max could see they all had knives out now. Several of them whooshed from the ground to the rooftops and back down again with ease, and ran along the sides of buildings. Max blinked in surprise. He wasn't even sure if he could do that. There were also several kids leaping from rooftop to rooftop above them, watching the chase and laughing. As their feet landed along the pavement, and even on the sides of buildings, sparks showered out, and as they lifted their feet, flames hissed for a moment, leaving a temporary fiery footprint. It was difficult to whoosh between the buildings and cars in the city. Max kept trying to run in a straight line, but found himself having to slow down and turn at several dead ends and obstacles, which let their pursuers get closer each time. The sharp turns didn't seem to bother them as much. They clearly mastered whooshing far better than Max had. And already, Max could feel his eyes tearing up and burning from the wind around his face from whooshing at this kind of high speed. They were all whooshing much faster now than he had been on the freeway back in Starland. He looked down at his feet, and sparks were gushing out from underneath his hiking boots with each step. Tears streamed down his cheeks, and he could see Casey was having trouble keeping her eyes open at all. Now I see why all these kids wear goggles, Max thought, lamely wishing he had his motorcycle goggles still. Max and Casey made a quick turn. The red-haired kid had been getting closer, but as soon as he tried to make the same turn after them, he lost his footing and went careening into a bunch of garbage cans. The cans didn't move. They were not heated up, so they were still in hard as stone and the red-haired kid let out a howl of pain as he collided at high speed, and Max heard a snap that sounded like a bone breaking. Max allowed himself a quick grin at the sound, but they still had a pack of at least 20 on their tail, and it seemed like more were piling into the chase from out of nowhere every few seconds. They rounded another corner, and Max's blood clawed into his brain at what he saw. A flock of white birds, hundreds of them, time frozen in the middle of taking off, right in their path. There wasn't enough room to stop. Max yanked Casey close and tucked her under his arm, and then jumped at high speed into a kind of a sideways tumble, rolling up the side of the frozen flock. Casey was screaming. She couldn't see and didn't know what was going on, but she felt the bumps. Max and Casey rolled and bounced off each bird like a pinball hitting bumpers, but continued to move forward. Max gritted his teeth and tried to take the punishment from the collisions himself, but Casey caught a few and yelped in pain with each bump. Already their pursuers were rounding the corner and starting to run into the frozen flock themselves. The first few tried to stop when they caught sight of it, which was a mistake at the speeds at which they were whooshing. And as they tried to make a quick stop by digging their feet in hard against the pavement and leaning back, sparks and fire spurted out in arcs from underneath their feet. But it was to no avail. They just couldn't stop fast enough and they ended up tumbling right into the middle of the flock, bouncing around inside of it like human bullets careening around inside of a lead room. They stopped abruptly and crunched pretzel-like positions, badly bruised and groaning, splayed out in between several birds. This produced peals of laughter from the kids watching the chase from the rooftops. The next wave of pursuers, however, seemed to be more experienced, and might have even known the flock was there ahead of time. They had adjusted their speeds and were running up the near side, stepping on the birds like stones across a pond. His heart racing now, Max rolled one more time and then slung Casey over a shoulder, and started trying to run across the top of the flock in the same way. He was doing okay for the first few steps and then missed. His leg plunged down into a space between the birds and he felt his ankle bend and a sharp pain sucked the air through his teeth as his foot hit another bird and bent. He shook it off and heaved both himself and Casey forward, ignoring the pain in his ankle, and started coming down the other side of the flock. In a few more steps, he was back on the pavement and had Casey upright again, and they were both whooshing at top speed, 
holding onto each other like trapeze artists do by gripping each other's wrists. But it wasn't more than a few seconds before Max saw kids ahead of them on the rooftops, whooshing at them menacingly from the right. Max steered Casey left down another alley. But now again, there were more kids ahead of them, lunging towards them from the left. Max veered back right again. But the strange thing was, these kids were close enough and had the element of surprise on their side by attacking from in front of them that they could have caught Max and Casey easily. But in fact, they were actually slowing down now that Max and Casey had chosen this particular alley to flee down. Or being herded, Max suddenly realized. But herded towards what? Max knew whatever it was, he wasn't going to like it. There was a cheer from the pursuers and more whooping and hollering from the rooftops. Whatever was coming, it was getting close and was just ahead of them. And then they emerged from the alley and saw it. A huge field, a park, covered in a thick, loamy, time-frozen fog. They had no choice but to enter it. The kids on the roof were jockeying to get the best view of the chase through the fog, and some of them had already had their positions and were now shining laser pointers through the mist, waving them around like it was a rock concert. Thin red beams sliced through the cloud cover. A few others were tossing out green glow sticks and throwing frisbees. Max and Casey hit the edge of the ground cloud, and it was like running smack into a moist, cottony blanket. They could taste the syrupy water vapor because it was time sluggish, and it had kind of a weird texture to it, like a fabric. It heated up immediately on contact, though, the way the air itself seemed to heat up in the pocket. But it was also clear that it cooled off just as quickly. As they moved through the dense cloud, they quickly saw that they were leaving a tunnel as they passed. It wasn't closing behind them like regular mist would. And as soon as they weren't directly touching the mist anymore, it grew sluggish and time stopped, like it had quickly fallen back asleep. Without warning, Max's shoulder caught the edge of a tree trunk, and he cried out in pain. It spun him around, and he lost his grip on Casey and went careening deeper into the mist, away from her. He hadn't even seen the tree at all until it was about a foot in front of him. This place was dangerous. You had to whoosh blind, and there was no telling what else the fog might be hiding. Max! Casey shouted, feeling him suddenly pulled away from her. He shook off the blow, and was about to double back through the fog tunnel behind him to find Casey, when suddenly two kids came flying through the mist wall behind him, creating a juncture in the fog tunnel. They realized instantly they had crossed Max's path, and stopped and doubled back themselves. He was cut off. Casey! Run! Max shouted. Max turned and whooshed with these two new pursuers on his tail. They had the advantage now. They could simply follow his path without fear of running into anything, whereas Max had to be more careful. He squinted, trying to make his eyes see through the cloud, but it was just white, white, and more white, no matter how hard he tried to pierce the veil. But he did vaguely see something ahead of him to the right. Two bobbing, glowing, emerald green lights like will-o'-wisps. Kids with glow sticks, Max thought. They crossed his intended path just ahead. He veered towards the path behind theirs, hoping to intersect it and follow their tunnels. Sure enough, he suddenly found himself emerging through a mist tunnel wall. He turned left, following the tunnel created by the glow stick kids. Ha! Let them find the trees with their faces, Max thought grimly. But the two pursuers behind him quickly figured out what Max had done as they hit the juncture themselves. One of them let out a loud, ear-splitting two-finger whistle. The bobbing glow sticks far ahead stopped and then turned around. Now Max was caught between them like a base runner in a game of pickle. He held his breath, rolled his eyes, and dove through the mist wall again, whooshing blind. This time, he found himself suddenly running down a steep incline, like the ground was dropping out from underneath him. 
and then, just as suddenly, it leveled off and he was running across the lawn again. He glanced over his shoulder. The glow stick kids were cutting a diagonal path towards him now. They weren't just simply following his tunnel. The other group was probably doing the same thing. Max turned up the speed. He had no choice now. And then he felt a monstrous blow to his jaw, like an uppercut. He went flying up into the air. To his surprise, he was lifted completely out of the cloud, a good ten or fifteen feet into the air, with wispy eddies of fog trailing behind him, and then dropped down again, backside first, with the mist blown racing away from him as he fell onto his back with a dull thud. He now lay in a crater in the cloud, created by the air rushing away from underneath him in his fall. The mist froze in place like a giant pockmark. The kids on the rooftops were hooting, laughing, and clapping now. It took Max a moment to catch his breath and get his bearings. Lying on his back, staring up into the sky, all he could see now was the perpetually half-eclipsed sun, a startling and eerie sight at any moment. Through the wall of this frozen mist crater came the red-haired kid Max had thought had broken a leg by the garbage can. He was in pain, but he was walking. His eyes were furious, and he clearly had revenge on his mind. He was shaking out his hand. It had been he who had socked Max in the jaw. Suddenly, Max understood. Everything was amplified in the pocket, not just running or whooshing. Punching, kicking, any physical movement that you concentrated on would be amplified. It was like they all had superpowers or something. The red-haired kid was lunging murderously at Max now. Max rolled out of the way, but inspired by his new understanding, he pushed off the ground with one hand and found he was already several feet off the ground without really exerting himself and let a kick fly into the kid's ribs. The kid snarled as Max's sneaker hit him squarely and sent him flying back through the wall on the mist crater. Peals of laughter rang out from the rooftops. Now, several of the other pursuers had arrived in the scene. They weren't attacking, although they held their knives out, ready if Max made a run for it. But they wanted to see how the fight between Max and the red-haired kid turned out. The kid was back fast, and Max was on his feet. They squared off now, sizing each other up. Lost your girlfriend, didn't you? The kid sneered at Max. She's not my girlfriend, Max snapped back. Sure she isn't. Ugly little snot face, isn't she? We're taking care of her real good right now, anyway. She was crying like a little baby when I saw her a few minutes ago. Thought you should know. Suddenly, Max tasted old rage, as if this reminded him of something that had happened to him before. For some reason, he thought of Petunia. Max felt his fingernails digging into his palm. Both his hands had become tight fists. He lunged wildly at the red-haired kid. But this was exactly what the kid was trying to provoke. Max saw his mistake too late. The kid sidestepped his attack with preternatural pocket speed, spun and cracked him in the back with a bony elbow. Max went down with a spike of pain in his back and thought dully that all these kids seemed to have had a lot more practice with pocket powers than he did. The kid was on him in seconds and had him by the neck, and then in a headlock. He was shoving his face down in the dirt. This! This is for making me go into those garbage cans! He growled. Max gasped for breath, but the kid was stronger and relentless, driving his face into the ground. Max's head swam as he struggled for breath. The kid was choking him. He squirmed to break the kid's hold, but with no luck. The kid held on tight. Max tasted dirt and heard peals of laughter all around him. And then he blacked out. You're listening to The Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. 
Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon Page and Podiobooks.com. The full book is available in Podiobook format at Podiobooks.com. The full print version is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Lulu.com, or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com. 